Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading of the prophet Isaiah. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Merciful Father, we give you thanks this day that you have gathered us here to hear your word. And we pray today, O Lord, that you would fill us with hope. For Lord, we live in a world that is lacking hope so much right now. And we are in desperate need of it. So Lord, do this by fixing our eyes and our hearts on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a very difficult time of, ch- of year if you are a child because uh, the waiting is becoming unbearable. Everything says Christmas around you and you cannot wait for Christmas morning to arrive. Your whole life is filled with hope and anticipation for what is coming that Christmas morning. I don't know how kids are hope anymore or what they hope for because I don't believe kids anymore get the wonderful book of hope that I used to get when I was a child and that was a book called the Sears Catalog. Did anybody else here receive the Sears catalog? This was the greatest thing. It was like middle of November, probably October by the time I stopped doing it, but middle of November this thing would show up and I would get it and I would open it and to the middle, right in the middle, they had the toy section. And my brother and I would go through that section and we would circle everything that we wanted to get for Christmas that year and literally we circled like everything on every page. I mean, this was just so exciting. And then we would give it to our parents so they could inform Santa Claus of everything we wanted to get for Christmas and now our hopes were high because now we had something to look forward to. We had something to anticipate because of that wonderful book of hope, the Sears catalog. Now, We are in a season which we are talking about preparing for Christ, and our focus today is going to be on that idea of hope. The scriptures are the true book of hope, as we know uh, in this life, and the book uh, we heard from this morning was uh, Romans, but uh, excuse me, Isaiah, but also Romans. And Romans says this about the scriptures and this book of hope: Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scriptures are written so that you and I will have hope. Throughout the season of Advent, we are going to be, as I mentioned last week, going through this book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is a book that is just, just filled up with hope and promises for the coming of Jesus Christ. And this is something we very desperately need in our world right now because I think our world is lacking hope. We live, I think, in a rather cynical time. I think if we look back on the last 10 years in our country, I think very few of us would describe those years as years filled with hope. We are going into a new decade, and I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this, but next year there's going to be an election. I don't know if you heard about that. Uh, And I can guarantee this, that as everybody is looking forward, regardless of your political position, regardless of how you uh, feel about politics, as you look at the next year, you're not filled with superabundance of hope. It's just not there. And as we watch the news cycle right now, and we watch all the uh, politics and the polarization taking place right now, uh, all of this, it feels to me, is much like an assault on our hope. So often what happens is people will turn to the church when they see uh, the culture going a particular direction, when they see uh, politics going this direction, they're going to turn to the church as a place of hope. 
But as we read the stories and look at the statistics about the church in our country right now, uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of hope there either. I don't know if you've seen this, but it would seem that the percentages of people going to church is now less and less. Uh, the percentages of people who are not going to church any longer is certainly on the rise. I, re I read one statistic a few weeks ago uh, that really troubled me. And this statistic said uh, that the most committed members to the congregations, the most committed and faithful attenders of the church, on average, are going to church now twice a month. Now work that out in your head. What that means is that the most committed members to the church are there half of the year. That is a significant shift in the culture. What does this mean? What, what's going on on Sunday morning half of the year that's more important than coming and receiving the body and blood of Christ and hearing the word of God for your forgiveness and for your salvation? I don't know. I mean, bed is nice. It is nice to sleep in on cool mornings, I suppose. We do have sports going on, and it is nice to teach our kids to break the third commandment and use them as an excuse so that we can do the same thing. I mean, it's, it's troubling. What's even more troubling is as I look out on the church landscape, and, I, and from my sort of selfish, cynical, judgmental position, I look out on the church landscape, and I see what people are preaching about, and I start to wonder, is it even worth going at all? Or is what we're getting in church just another sanitized version of what the culture is already talking about? I mean, the statistics play out this way, that the church in America is going to look very much like many European countries, which are almost utterly Christless at this point. And they all, you know, you get these terrifying statistics that within the next 50 to 100 years, the church will be all but obsolete in America. And the statistics about the church, it would seem, are enemies of hope. And it, it really troubles me because I think given the way the culture is going right now, we need nothing more than the hope that the Word of God can give to us in these days. Because everything we're facing in our lives is a constant attack on our hope. And it's not just the politics and it's not just the uh, statistics and stuff going on with churches. No, everything. We have strained relationships. We have struggles with our sins. We have failures with our sins. We have stress at work and stress at home. We're getting bad and upsetting reports from the doctors. I mean, our hope is constantly under strain. And we need to be somewhere where we can hear a word that is going to drive the hope back into us. But hope is hard to come by. Israel knew this in the Old Testament. In the time in which Isaiah was writing, Israel's hope was all but gone. Isaiah writes to Israel at a time when their nation is under assault uh, from a, a na another nation called Assyria. Uh, if you recall in the Old Testament, Israel is broken up into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom are all but obliterated at this time in Israel's history when Assyria comes in and basically wipes them out. Uh, over a hundred years later then, uh, Babylon is going to come in and they're going to attack the southern tribe and draw the Judeans uh, into exile for 70 years. And all of this is happening because Israel has sinned against their God. God had warned them that this would happen. God told them, if you disobey my commandments and you start to abuse your neighbors, if you start to worship other gods above me, if you start to despise my Sabbath days, and if you, and if you start uh, to use your neighbors instead of love your neighbors, this punishment will come upon you. And God made good on that promise when Israel ignored his word. When Israel chose their sin over his laws, and Israel turned their back on him, they ignored the threat. They grew comfortable and complacent 
in their sin. There was no fear of God for them because they had rejected listening to his word. You can think of Israel as sort of this great and grand tree that was sort of planted there in the Gaza Strip and along came God's wrath for their sin and he chopped the tree down in the form of Assyria and Babylon. And it seemed that for Israel, all hope was gone because that's the reality for sinners underneath the law. The law of God gives no hope to the sinner. But now we read in Romans that these things were written to give us hope. And so here in this place of hopelessness, here in this place of judgment and wrath and destruction, comes the still, small voice of the prophet Isaiah. The still, small voice that seems at once so quiet and yet cries out all that much louder than all the noise and hopelessness in this world. God sends Isaiah, his prophet, who proclaims, from this chopped down tree will come hope. There shall come forth a shoot, he says, from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. From this stump New life will come. Where there seems to be only darkness and death, Isaiah preaches light and life. From the stump will come a branch. From the place of destruction, God will begin to rebuild. Israel has sinned gravely. But Israel has a God who's in the habit of bringing life forth from the grave. And though they have broken God's law, God has a promise that runs deeper and stronger than their sins could ever possibly imagine. And though their circumstances seemed hopeless, God had a promise that he would send forth a Messiah. He would send forth a Savior to bring hope and restoration to woeful people. Israel was given hope in the promise of this word in the coming of Jesus place of hopelessness, Isaiah preaches hope. And so it is even for you today. For the hope of Israel is your hope as well. In the coming of Christ, our hopes are fulfilled. All of this talk of, of fear and hope reminds me of that marvelous verse we sing every year when we sing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Do you know the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem? Uh, you're not awake anymore. Okay, uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem, this marvelous hymn that we sing, and there's a wonderful line in that hymn that says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee, speaking of Jesus, tonight. And I'm kind of captivated by that line. The hopes and the fears are met in Jesus. Now, how does that work? Because to me, it seems that hope and fear are opposites, right? Fear comes from an uncertainty of the future, and hope comes from a certainty and a promise about the future. So how can hope and fear be met in Jesus Christ? Well, we'll get to the hopes in a second, but for now, let's look at the fears. What's with this fears business? How do our fears find their meeting in Jesus? Now, I don't know what the author of the hymn actually intended, but it would seem to me that if we really think about God showing up in the presence of sinners, This God who punished Israel for their sins has promised that he's going to show up in the presence of a sinful world. This doesn't immediately conjure to mind uh, feelings of excitement, but rather feelings of fear. 
Because the one who promised to punish Israel for their sins made good on that promise. And now he said he's going to show up among us. And this might cause us to fear. In fact, Jesus, when he's preaching later on, will tell us if there's anything worth fearing in this world. It's this God and his wrath. This is what Jesus says. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after have nothing that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus is speaking of God there. Here is the one who has the authority to cast sinners into hell. And the Father has sent his Son into this world and the Son is the one with authority and the power to crush all that opposes him. Here's the one who knows all of Israel's sins and who knows all of your sins and knows that so much of your sins comes from a fear of the future because you are not listening to the word of God. You are not trusting what he has to say to you. And now God comes to you in his word and you are running up against him with all of your fears and your guilt and your shame. And if he cast Israel into exile for their sins, What's he going to do with you? But now, of course, it is into this fearful moment that God sends that still, small voice. It's into this fearful moment that God sends you his word, and your hopes are now met in the promise that comes in Jesus Christ. See, I think when we get to the point where we start to become afraid of this God and we start to worry about our sinfulness and all of this, so often it comes because we are not paying attention to who this God is and how he comes to us. We're so much more focused on our sins than we are on his coming. And notice how he comes. This God who, who is the creator of all things, who punished Israel for their sins, comes to us not in wrath or in fury, but as a child, in a manger, God appears among us as a baby, not full of threats, full of peace, peace that will heal and restore the entire creation. Listen to what Isaiah promises us. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down among the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead. God comes to you as a little child. The God you ought to fear has shown up, not in wrath or fury, but as a baby. A child who brings peace to all of creation, a small twig who springs up from the shoot of Jesse to give you comfort and to promise you hope, who comes to you for your sins, but to be punished for your sins on your behalf and to give you the gift of forgiveness. He comes to secure you in your hope. So when it comes to your hopes and it comes to your fears, you are called to bring them to this Christ child. You are, come, you are called to bring them to this Jesus. And when we come to Jesus with our hopes and with our fears, he has for us, as it were, a catalog of blessings that he wants to pour out upon us. Promise upon promise upon promise of mercy and hope and healing. So think about it. 
What is it that you are afraid of? What is it that drives your fears about the future? This season, people are afraid of all kinds of things. Maybe you're afraid this holiday season, as you are in most of your life, of something like loneliness. You long to be loved. You long to be around people that make you feel good, but you haven't seen them in so long, and you may not be able to see them, and you long to be with them. You long for companionship. Christ comes to you today with this promise of, that he will fulfill. This fills you with hope. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Come to the altar today. Take and eat my body. Take and drink my blood. It's there for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And it is my presence with you. I'm not taking that away, says Maybe you are one who is here full of guilt and shame over what you have done. Maybe you are fearing how God will treat you on the day of judgment and you long for just a hint of mercy. Well, the Christ who comes to die on the cross for your sins says, I have paid for all of it. And now because of my shed blood, I forgive you. Maybe you are someone who looks at this next year, looks at uh, what's going on in our country and you fear the future. The troubles of the world terrify you and you just don't know what to do with all of this. Christ comes to you today. Christ who is risen from the dead and rules and reigns over all of creation comes to you today and says, listen, I, you will have troubles in this world, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Maybe you are someone like me who fears what is happening in the church. You see the statistics that are taking place and it worries you a great deal about the future. Well, Jesus comes to us today. Jesus comes to you and he says, I who rule over my church have a promise to make to you. Regardless of what the statistics say, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I love, says Jesus. And maybe you are one here today who is fearing what we all fear. Death and sickness and pain and suffering. And you're longing for a day when all of that will be gone and all tears will be removed from our eyes. The risen Christ comes to you today and promises you this. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. See, these are the promises that Christ proclaims to you this morning in this place. This is what Jesus has to say to you. And because it is Christ who says it, it is good as done. You dear, baptized, forgiven children of God, you have nothing to fear. For you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ who has come to save you. And in these promises, you can hope. So today we close with the marvelous benediction from Paul's letter to the Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the hope in Jesus Christ. Lord, in this world that is so full of darkness and cynicism, we pray that your word would